Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. The goal here at the depot is to help you strengthen your own practice of leadership, no matter where you serve. Every episode will give you not only the background theory, but some practical tools that you can use right away. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 1, Episode 15. We're in a series on the questions we need to answer in order to lead ourselves well. As I said last week, my ethos as an educator is that if you haven't been able to use it, you haven't really learned it. So as you listen, take these ideas and put them into practice. So here we are on part seven of this series on leading yourself. In the interest of giving credit where credit is due, the article that inspired this material is Peter Drucker's piece for Harvard Business Review uh, called Managing Oneself. It's very helpful, and if you've not read it, I highly recommend it. It's so good that HBR reprints it every five years or so. It's an enduring classic, so read it. Let's dig into three more questions that you need to answer in order to manage yourself well. First, what is my view of time? Second, who is the boss of me? And what makes me dig in my heels? What turns on my stubbornness? Let's start off with, what is my view of time? Over the last few years, the biblical ideas of time have achieved some popularity. There are two primary words for time. They are chronos, which is just what it sounds like, the chronological idea that time marches on. Well, there's another word, kairos, that means time in a different sense. The important moment, the long now, the opportunity, that just the right time. There's a big difference between Kronos and Kairos, though every Kairos takes place within a Kronos. Now, I mention these ideas because I would feel remiss if I didn't. They're important ideas, you need to know about them specifically because they've made their way into the mainstream conversation. But I don't think they're the most important aspect of your perspective on time. I'll give you a couple of other things to think about. Philip Zimbardo has written about six perspectives on time. Past negative, past positive, present negative, present positive, future negative, future positive. He makes the argument that a past orientation looks at the way things used to be, a present orientation looks at things in the here and now, and a future orientation looks to tomorrow. Along with that, he suggests that we tend to lean to the positive or the negative. So a past positive orientation is nostalgic and thinks about the good old days, while a past negative orientation thinks, everything in my past is all digested dog food. Zimbardo's model takes a similar approach to the present and the future. Now I want to share with you my own approach. My argument is that our view of time is based on one of two things. In North America, we have an obsession with the clock. On time means, what does the clock say? The other approach is what I call social time, which is about, are the right people here? Now, most of the world runs on social time. 
I had the privilege of growing up in a small church in Wisconsin, and more than one Sunday I heard this, we can't start yet, the Johnsons aren't here. Now, the Johnsons lived about 40 minutes out of town, and evidently their presence was essential to proper worship. We held the start of the church service for them. They lived several miles out of town, and if they weren't going to be there, someone would have known. That's not a negative. That's not a complaint, by the way. In our situation, that was actually an honoring thing to do. But it demonstrates that social time exists in a lot of different settings. Someone who is a Greek scholar might tell me that clock time and social time is just another way to express the ideas behind Kronos and Kairos. Well, that may be the case, but I haven't read that anywhere, so I don't know. I do want to add another dimension to this beyond clock and social time. We can also either be structured or flexible. Now, some people tend toward a structured approach to time. The meeting runs from 2 until 3 p.m., or the party runs from 7 until 10 p.m. Now, a flexible approach will have no firm end time. The meeting begins at 2 p.m., and the unspoken piece is that we'll finish when we're finished. The party begins at 7, and we have no idea when it will end. We were invited to a party last summer that had a firm beginning and end time, but the host grabbed us and said, Stay around after this is over. You don't have to leave at 6. So we stayed around, helped with the cleanup, and then spent about three hours in post-party socializing. In your work and life, you have an approach to time that is uniquely yours. It's the reason that you drive some people crazy, and the reason that some people drive you crazy. On time, for you, might mean something different than it does for other people. When my wife and I first got married, we quickly discovered our difference in time orientation. We'd be getting ready to go to church or go to an event, and she would say, Are you ready to go? And I would respond, Yes, I am. Now, I'm an introvert, and when she asked me if I was ready to go, I heard it as, Are you ready to face the throng of talkative people who will not give you a moment's quiet for the next few hours? (laughs) I was. But I didn't have my shoes on, I didn't have my usual everyday carry accoutrements in my pocket, and my hair still needed to be combed. Oh, hair, how I miss thee. Now, we had a different approach to time. When we figured that out, it helped us to learn to communicate more clearly with one another, and it made the process more manageable. Yeah, she had to learn to put up with me. (laughs) So understanding your time perspective and the perspectives of others will help you to negotiate deadlines, set expectations, and learn when you need to be flexible and when you need to coach to a high structure approach. Let's move on. Way back when, the Animaniacs picked up the phrase, you are not the boss of me. That was a great phrase because generations of kids had either said it or made their siblings say it. It had a familiar ring to it. And even as adults, as leaders, there are still people that we want to remind, you are not the boss of me. Uh, But should we? I want you to think about this. Who is the boss of you? It's probably not who you think it is. When you ask, who's the boss of me, you're really asking, who is it that defines and determines the quality of the work that I'm doing? Now, the easy answer is, my boss. But that's probably wrong. For someone working on a manufacturing floor, the first answer might be the customer who buys the product you made. But it might also be the shareholders who read about the downturn in quality and consider selling the company's stock. 
If you happen to be working in a regulated industry, it might be the auditors who certify the quality and safety of the product. It might be the consultant brought in to update the ISO 9000 or Lean Sigma processes. It's good to remember that your boss is not your boss. He or she might be the person that you have to report to, but your performance gets measured a hundred times before your boss hears about it. The American car industry struggled in the 1980s, and people said things like, don't buy a car built on a Friday or a Monday. That did a lot of damage to Detroit, because a company can't have 40% of its production be faulty. That perception drove up sales for other manufacturers who'd made commitments to quality standards. Your boss is not your boss. Whatever you do, hard skills or soft skills, whatever you do gets scrutinized by a lot of other people who have indirect control over your success or your failure. You can't escape to being self-employed. Some people think that's a good solution because they hate working for someone else. Sorry to burst your bubble, but you still have clients, customers, guests, whatever you choose to call them. You might think you're your own boss, but they run the show. They can choose to do business with you, and they can choose not to. They care about your technical skills and your character. You know, I stopped doing, uh, doing business with one home services company because while they were technically solid, every time they came to my house, they either insulted my intelligence or they found some meaningless thing that I should spend several thousand dollars fixing. Usually both. Sorry, gang, you're not welcome here anymore. So whether you're an employee in a multinational company or one step away from the customer in a self-employment venture, just remember that your boss is not your boss. It would serve you well to spend some time thinking about that question. Who is it that defines and determines the quality of the work that you're doing? Who defines success for me in my role? If you don't know who they are and what they value, you will almost certainly fail. That's not easy to hear, but that's the reality. The last question we're going to deal with this time is, what makes me dig in my heels and what turns on my stubbornness? This one is relatively simple. I trust that you know yourself well enough to recognize your pet peeves. <laughs> That's an odd phrase. If you translate pet peeves into Spanish, it basically comes out as annoying pet. That doesn't get close to the meaning of the phrase, so let me try again. I trust that you know yourself well enough to know what makes you all grumpy and stubborn. Here's why that matters. You'll never move beyond it unless you know what triggers it. There's real power in being able to recognize when you are just being crabby because someone did the exact thing that makes you crabby. <laughs> it's not very productive in the workplace. Let me tell you a secret. Many times, the things that people do that annoy us are exactly the things that we do, but we don't see it in ourselves. Okay, my mom made this observation. I do pretty good, but it's my brain that gets me into trouble. Yes, mom, I think I inherited that from you. So here's a story that goes with that observation. Years ago, I was stopped at a stoplight in St. Paul, Minnesota. I look over, and there's this kid who looks just like I looked when I was about eight. And he was doing something that annoyed me. Because I had done exactly that. And I had this almost irresistible urge to get out of the car, walk over, and say something like, 
I am from your future. Don't be such a dork or you'll wind up like this. I didn't, I didn't do that, but I really kind of wanted to. And it gave me the painful realization that the things that people do that annoy me are the things that I do. I'm annoyed with myself. When you know what makes you dig in your heels and makes you stubborn, it does two things for you. First, it gives you a chance to step back and respond rather than just reacting. And second, it teaches you to moderate those behaviors in yourself. This is all about showing yourself a little mercy for your own behaviors while learning to manage them. It allows you to move past your initial response of no, 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 to, well, maybe, maybe, and to think those things through with rationality and compassion. Now, we looked at three questions this time around. What is my view of time? Who is the boss of me? What makes me dig in my heels and what turns on my stubbornness? Now, I hope you noticed here that all of these have to do with both our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with others. You can't live in a vacuum and you can't lead in a vacuum. So, to sum up, what's my view of time? Is your perspective clock-based or social? Are you structured or flexible? And why isn't everyone just like you? How about this? Who's the boss of me? It's always good to remember who your boss is and remember that your boss is not your boss. And what makes you dig in your heels? What turns on your stubbornness? It's often our own foibles that annoy us most when they show up in others. Learning to step back and think things through with kindness and reason will help you to lead more effectively. So I hope this has been helpful to you. Remember, spread the word about Great Ridge Station and ask your friends and colleagues to subscribe. We're working to create a community of leaders who can envision a better future and are willing to do the hard work to lead themselves and others in the right direction. As I always like to say, grace and peace to you all. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. Consider what you've learned and what strategies and practices you can implement right now. If you have leadership questions that you'd like us to address, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find the questions link on our show page. We can't answer everything, but we'll watch for themes and big-picture questions and get to as many as we can. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.